Come on, get your Bibles out and turn it to the book of Judges. We're going to be teaching again out of the book of Judges. We're in the middle of our series that uh, we entitled The Gideon Generation. And I don't know about you, every now and then you just preach to yourself. And, and the congregation gets to listen in. And uh, Gideon is one of those stories that uh, ministers to me. And so uh, I've just enjoyed one more time reading about him and sharing it with you. And hopefully the Holy Ghost will provide opportunity for you to find ways to make it practical and relevant to your life. Because the story of Gideon, as I have been mentioning to you these last weeks, the story of Gideon is a story about how God really does work with quality more than he does with quantity. Sometimes we fall into the trap thinking that God has to have a majority to do something. That's not true. God can use one person and he can make a difference in the earth. God can use one church and that one church can make a difference in the earth. God doesn't need the numbers. In fact, the story of Gideon is will teach this morning, he'll actually whittle the army down. Now, and I'll just tell you that that won't get you on the church growth speaking conference when you, it's amazing. I've been to conferences all over America about growing churches. I never hear the story of Gideon shared. But Gideon is one of those stories that, that really teach you that you can feel outnumbered, overwhelmed, your esteem levels can be shot. You really don't think you're all that much. And all of a sudden, God taps you. And he's going to use someone like you to do something great. And that's why Paul would later write, he said, not many noble, not many wise, according to the flesh. He uses that which a lot of times we would discard. And so Gideon has just been really one of these great stories that has encouraged me so much. Because I think... We are talking about this in the foyer. I was talking about this with one of the guys. I believe that there's a warrior word in the earth again. I, I just believe that, that God is calling us again to spiritually war for his purposes. And, and Gideon is such a great illustration of that. In fact, I just might give you a, a quick report. I have been on the run these last couple of weeks. It just seems like I have been on this relentless run. And I was in... A, Pennsylvania here recently. In fact, just last weekend when my wife shared and, and uh, got to listen to that, and she gave an awesome word while I was away. I'm so glad that when I'm away, you get better stuff than when I'm here. I mean, that just, it blesses me to know that uh, the church goes on strong when I'm not here. But I was away in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'd never been to Pennsylvania before. I've been to almost every state of, uh, of the union, but I've never been to Pennsylvania. Figure that. And so I got to go to Pittsburgh. And, and again, I don't know what I had perceived going to Pittsburgh, but, uh, you know, I didn't realize it was as hilly as it was. And those of you that may have been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's down by the rivers and, and the hills go to it. It's really got a beauty to it. It's, it's a sad city now in some ways because all the steel mills have shut down. And literally, as you get off the plane, you can feel the oppression. Maybe it's the depression that you begin to sense over the area. And I was up there in Pittsburgh in order to speak at a conference. It was a men's conference. It was called Band of Brothers. And uh, 
it was a spinoff of the uh, television series Band of Brothers, and so it had a lot of military overtones as the men came together. And, you know, men like that. Men like sort of the Braveheart, Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, you know. There's something about a group of men when you get them together and you just start talking about shooting stuff. I mean, they just, there's, there's just something inside of them that lights up. Oh, I get to shoot something. Yay! You know. And uh, Pastor Rod was there, so you know when it comes to shooting, you know, if it's brown, it's down. If it flies, it dies. And that's just, that's his life's mantra. But being up there with those guys and then just just being filled with the military, spiritual military metaphors and overtones and watching the passion that came out of the men that were there, it just it just lit me up that the spirit of God was especially in the men, ladies. And and please don't take this wrong, because, ladies, I have known for for the years that you have been some of the most faithful stalwart. When the men weren't getting it, the ladies would get on their knees and they'd keep the doors of the church open and they were the ones that held the spiritual burden of the church. And so ladies, I, I, I affirm you through the centuries, the ladies have been incredible. But there's something about men. When the men get the passion, when the men just... Rise up and spiritually speaking, they'll grab their armor and they'll grab their sword and, and they link to a cause and, and they just throw off the, 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 the stigmas and they throw off the perceptions of the world and they, like David of old, become great worshipers as well as great warriors. You know, David was not some sissy. People think David, you know, because he played a harp. You know, kind of a harp is kind of, you know, I'm sorry, it's kind of a sissy instrument. I mean, it's just, I, I know, if I have any harp players, forgive me. But I just can't imagine myself playing a harp. Now, you know, a guitar or something, you know, but not a harp. David was a harp player. He was a musician. He was creative. And yet at the same time, he led the nation of Israel into battles and wars. And I mean... I would have loved to have known David. And there's something that God wants in a man. He wants a man to worship him until like David, he just worships himself into a lather. And at the same time, he can pick up a sword and run to the battle. That's a man. That's a man. And God's raising up warriors again. But I was up there. I did the conference and I had to hang over and I did Sunday morning and and then Pastor Rod and I did a prophetic presbytery on Sunday night, and we prophesied three hours straight over 40-some-odd people that were there. Just wore me out. Got done at 9.30. They wanted to go to dinner. Took me uh, to dinner with them. Didn't get back to the hotel until 11.30. Had to pack up because I had to leave the hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Got about three hours sleep. Uh, got to the Pittsburgh airport, was back here on Monday morning, 8.20 in the morning, I was back here in the office. I don't, I don't say that to impress you, I just say that I was, I was worn out. And then instantly I've got encounter. Welcome back. Men's Iron Men was Tuesday, Wednesday night service, encounter. And so I'm just telling you, I'm running on either adrenaline or anointing right now. I'm telling you, I've got, I got about a page and a half of notes and I'm saying, Lord, if I'm going to teach the people, you got to send an anointing this morning. But are you ready? Are you ready to become warriors? God's looking for warrior churches. Come on. It's not the size of the army. 
You can have a gigantic army and lose the battle. But boy, you get a quality army. And I mean, you can take nations. And we've mentioned to you that here in Judges, there was this cycle that, that the people of Israel were continually going through. This cycle of, of being on top and then they'd backslide and they'd dwindle away. And then they'd go through the cycle again. God would give them a judge and He would come into the land and they would, they would return to the Lord and then they would cycle down again and they'd backslide and He'd send another judge. And we find over 13 judges in this particular book. They had cycled at least that many times. And here in the middle of it, we have Gideon as one of those judges that comes in order to get the nation back into, into victory. And, and you can't help but make the analogies concerning America with regards to this. How many of you know America has a great plan in the economy of God? I mean, God wants to do things through this nation, but right now, unfortunately, we are cycling down. We are backsliding back into old ways and worshiping false gods. I'm just, I'm sad. I am sad because we are entering into a season where you and I will watch them war over Christmas, but we'll stumble over ourselves to make sure the Muslim community feels good about itself. See, I can't believe you said that. Just wait till you hear what I say. Someone's got to say it. Muslims didn't found America. No, they didn't. Say, well, I don't, I think we should be tolerant. I'm tolerant of everybody. You won't come to a better nation for tolerance than this nation. Every religion, every person can find, can find great opportunity in our nation. But this nation was founded by people who believed it was to be a sending station for the gospel. That's just historical fact. And so we're cycling through and we're backsliding down as a nation. And I believe that God is raising up a Gideon generation. Come on, we, we may feel outnumbered. We may feel overwhelmed. We may not feel like we can do anything to change anything. But I'm telling you, God isn't looking for the numbers. He's looking for one who will say yes. Just one. Just one. And from that one... He can begin to uh, cause incredible things to happen. So we're finally to Judges chapter 7. And I want to talk about this morning the quality of the army. This is our third lesson in this area. The quality of the army. Judges 7. I'm going to read to you these nine verses. Because they're just too good to just review. We need to hear it. Judges 7 uh, verse 1. It says, Then... Uh, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites, as you will recall, the Midianites were those who had gathered around the nation of Israel. The camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Oh, see, most pastors would rebuke that. They would. They'd say, how could that be? Isn't it God's will? Well, not apparently here. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. I, I, I could just stop there. And boy, there's a great message there about how much do we get done in the flesh and how much does God have to show up for? Amen. Well, I'll let that one go. 
Verse 3, now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn around and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Well, then I rebuke that one too. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. He sent them away, all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise Go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. It's a good word. The quality, hear this now, not the quantity, the quality of the army. As we've been teaching you about Gideon, it is now time for Gideon to pick the team that he's going into battle with. He knows that he's called of God to go against the Midianites. He's worked through all of his, his personal problems. He's gotten through the fact that he doesn't feel equipped. He doesn't feel qualified. God has done some amazing things in order to get him to this place. He's made fire come from rocks. He spoke to him through the angel of the Lord. And so now it's time to pick the team. He takes it before the Lord and the Lord begins to do something unconventional. He begins to pare down the size of the troops. Now, I don't know if Gideon had an inkling something like this would happen. Uh, but it's interesting that before he goes into all of this, there's a passage that, that I just want to touch on for just a moment that sort of precedes the whittling down of the army because it's something that Gideon had to do. It, it makes me think that maybe Gideon had an inkling this was what God was going to do. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You sort of had an inkling of what God might do. And, and then all of a sudden you're going, I think God's going to do this, but I don't know that I really want him to do this. And I'm not sure I'm really happy about him doing this. And so I want to really make sure that this is God who is about ready to do this thing. And so Gideon does this thing that you and I have come to know as using a fleece. It's right before this particular passage. He used what was called a fleece. Now, we need to understand what a fleece is. It's fascinating to me that everything that God did for Gideon up to this point, he was doing to help Gideon understand his will. And yet it's interesting that even though he's had this, this verbal interaction with the Lord, now listen to this, he's had verbal interaction with the Lord. He's had this interaction with the angel of the Lord. Can you imagine? Now think about, just, just put yourself in Gideon's sandals for a minute. Think about, you, you, you've heard God's audible voice. Now there's this angel, the angel of the Lord has manifested in front of you. And now you're interacting with the angel of the Lord. You go through this process where God literally brings fire out of a rock. And, and can I just hear that rocks don't burn? 
I mean, that's a pretty remarkable thing. We're not even, you know, a bush. Moses got a burning bush. Now, a bush will burn. But, but rocks, I mean, you get to fire out of rocks. I mean, that's, that's a pretty remarkable thing. And so all of this has gone on, and yet he's still struggling with the will of God. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that all of these supernatural things have happened to him, and he's still going, Lord, is that you? Now stop there for just a minute. How many things must God do in your life before you get it? Come on, get that in your system. What, what, what must God do in your life before you understand? He's trying to reach out to you. He's trying to intervene in your life. He's trying to tell you about his will. Some of you have been through some amazing things. And, and you just walk through life like it's coincidence. It's haphazard. I'm not sure it's God. Hey, I'm telling you, what must God do in order to get our attention? Well, with Gideon, apparently it's more than just fire from rocks. He has to hear God's voice through what's called a fleece. Now, on the screen overhead, a fleece, for those of you who may not know, a fleece was a piece of wool. And, and what the deal was with Gideon and the Lord was, is that he was going to put this fleece out on the ground, this piece of wool. And one night he wanted the fleece to be wet, but the ground to be dry. And so he did that as unto the Lord and the Lord caused the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And, and one more thing, Gideon sees that it's happened. And what does Gideon do? Does he arise and say, all right, this is the will of God? Of course not. He says, well, we better double check this one out too. So he gets another fleece. And he says, well, I'll tell you what we'll do tonight, Lord. We'll let you uh, uh, make the ground wet, but keep the fleece dry. And so one more night. God does that for him. This is an amazing thing to me. God does that for him. And, and one more time, God confirms his will. Now, through the years, I have run into people who have used the fleece verses in order to somehow figure out the will of God for their life. They put out, it's called putting out a fleece. And putting out a fleece can take the form of many different things. But there are some things I felt like before I can talk about, you know, whittling down the army, I wanted to just share a couple of things about how Gideon got to the place where all of this happened. And you need to understand some things because I don't want you running out the door and, and start throwing fleeces out every which direction trying to figure out the will of God because there are some things that people have done that have been an error and it's got them in a lot of trouble. So you may want to write this down. I'm not saying fleeces are bad, but you need to know a few things about the fleece in order to do it appropriately. Number one, a fleece is an accommodation to your doubt, not your faith. See, don't think for a moment Gideon's functioning in faith here. He'd have been functioning in faith if while he was at the wine press a chapter earlier, he'd have said, yes, Lord, and he'd just been about the Lord's business. Now he's functioning in faith. But no, no, he had to have all of these interactions. He had to have the angel of the Lord show up. He had to have fire from the rock. He had to make sure one more time. You say, is something wrong with that? I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't want you to think for a moment you're walking in faith. Because he's walking in his doubt. He's not understanding what's, what's going on here. In fact, he's actually beginning, I think, to push the line with God. And so when you get to the place that you're doing a fleece, understand, I'm not sure you're always doing yourself a favor uh, in the in the economy of God. And, and so it's an accommodation. Sometimes God will accommodate us. I mean, I'm grateful God's merciful and he'll accommodate us. Number two, you need to know that the fleece is only mentioned once in all of scripture. 
In other words, don't be fleecing once a week. There's some people throwing out fleeces every week. You know, it, 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 it's a rare thing, I think, and it probably should be an important, significant thing that you would be placing a fleece out before the Lord. I, you know, I'll give you some examples. Just, you know, I don't know that we've used fleece a lot in our house. In fact, I, I know of one, and I think it probably models this, and the Lord answered. This way I know when my wife, years ago, was, was trying to pick a college. I remember your story about whether you were going to a college in Illinois or this college in Kansas, and you had taken it before the Lord. And, and you said, help me. In fact, I think your fleece was, Lord, help me love the one and hate the other. Don't put any difference between the two. And the Lord showed up and did that in your heart and gave you direction through that. That was a type of fleece. Help me love one and hate the other. And, and God moved. Now, could God have spoke to her in, in other ways? Yes. Maybe it was God's will to speak to her in another way. I don't know. Again, it, it was just an important decision for the future of her life. And as it turned out, it was a great decision because she met me. I mean, that's the will of God right there. So, so obviously I'm grateful that uh, God spoke to her in that regard. But it's only mentioned. Now, listen, we weren't fleecing every week. She, she put this out. It was a significant, important decision. Number three, it requires supernatural intervention and not just a coincidence. It requires supernatural intervention and uh, not just a coincidence. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, let me just give you some examples. For instance, you get up in the morning and you say, okay, if the car starts on the first crank, I'll go to work. If it doesn't, I guess I'm not, you know, that's stupid. You know, that, that's nothing supernatural. Or, um, I know, I know, I know I'm supposed to either go to Florida or California. So when I go grocery shopping and I look at the oranges, wherever they're from, that's where I'm to move. That might not be good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd want Bilo determining the will of God for me. How about this one? Well, I won't set my alarm, but if the alarm goes off on Sunday, supernaturally, in time, I'll go to church. If not, I guess it's not God's will for me to be there. The, the, these are silly things. And, and I could go down the list of even sillier things. Now, now again, this is, this is significant issues. I believe they're issues that may not be clearly Spoken in the word of God, just for that silly one last time, you know, Hebrews 10, 25 says that you'll not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day appearing, mutually edifying, encouraging, building one another up. So you see, you don't have to get the will of God about being here this morning. See, that's really the great thing about God's word. There's a scripture that tells me I really need to be here. So I'll just slip that one in. See, I'm still on jet lag and exhausted. So if it doesn't sound anointed, then you can just, you know. Dismiss it to my weariness. Number four, about a fleece. It should confirm what you already know. You see, Gideon really knew what was required of him. He was just trying to find confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. And, and, and so when we put a fleece out, to be candid with you, really all you're doing is confirming probably some things you already know in the, in the depth of your heart. In fact, here's the optimum scenario. I know a fleece is in the scripture. 
You can put out a fleece and be functioning scripturally, but I'm going to give you the optimum scenario, and it's this. That is, you develop a relationship with God that you get the ears of the Spirit going on in your life, and you hear what He has to say hot out of the oven. So you don't have to find all of these signs all the time in order to give direction in your life. All right? That's why we have a relationship with the Lord. That's why the Holy Spirit is amongst us and speaks to us because we can hear what he has to say. Now, all of this, this whole fleece incident, all of this prefaces the choosing of the army. Now, I really have some compassion for Gideon at this place because when he makes the announcement that we're going into battle and everyone is hearing, apparently he did it in an exciting way, 32,000 men show up. Boy, I'd be encouraged by that. 32,000 people show up even today. Can you imagine if we went down to the North Charleston Coliseum and we just gave a call for men to show up because there's a cause and 32,000 men show up at the North Charleston Coliseum. Would that not be an encouragement? I mean, that's not, that's not bad for Charleston. I mean, you can't get 1,000 people to come out to... Listen to a gospel group even. I mean, we're just really not very good as a city about that. But 32,000 show up. Now, any of us would be happy to go to battle with a big crowd. And that's usually the natural strategy for winning a war. You outnumber your opponent. You make sure you've got more who are for you than who are against you. You make sure that all your supplies are right. And do you understand that's even how we as a nation, when we go over and we fight, whether it be in Iraq or Afghanistan or any war, the reason we called the first one in I, I, uh, Iraq, I think it was shock and awe, is because we sent over these massive numbers of troops and weapons and planes and tanks. And you just see the numbers and it can just cause the heart to grow faint. But this time in this battle, God has a different strategy. In fact, it's not been the only time God has had this strategy. It's interesting. I just started thinking about it in 1 Chronicles 21. Just I don't want to look at my fingers aren't working with my brain right now. 1 Chronicles 21, David is at a place where he's preparing to go to battle and he begins to count the number of troops. And this is literally what the scripture says. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, what that verse means is this, is that the enemy caused David to begin to count and see how many people or how many guys were in the army who would go out against his enemies. And he began to count them. And the scripture literally says that Satan moved him to do this. Now, why is that? If it's not a bad thing, why would why would Satan move you to do it? Because it betrays what's going on inside of us. What's going on inside is you're, you're beginning to say, well, do I have enough in the, in the natural to do what God's asking me to do? I don't, you know, I don't know that I want to go into a battle and I really don't have enough in the natural what it is I need to be doing. So I'm going to begin to count. And that's exactly, listen to me, folks. This is what the enemy is so good at. He keeps drawing us back to the natural. He keeps drawing us back to our senses. He keeps drawing us back to what these eyes can see and what these ears can hear and and what we can put our arms around and what we can smell and what we can taste. And as long as it makes sense to this brain, then we've developed a whole new doctrine in the church era we live in. As long as it makes sense to our brain, it must be God. 
As long as it works by pencil on a paper, it must be God. I'm going to share something with you. God will break your pencil. Sure he will. He'll give you 5,000 people and then he'll give you a few fish, a few loaves of bread, and he'll say, feed them. We're a little short. God says, I'll do it. I'll multiply it. And the minute David did that, it was recognized as the enemy. And there are times you're going to feel outnumbered and overwhelmed. You're going to feel outclassed and out of your league. You're going to go to work and you're the only Christian there. And everybody else is against you. They don't like you. They make fun of your faith. Young people go to school and the whole school is living wrong. They're, they're out of the will of God. They're in, they're just, their lives are a mess. And you're saying it's, it's hopeless. I need more Christian friends. No, you don't. It's great to have more support around you, but you don't need the support to win. I've listened to that pablum for years. I don't have anybody to support me. You don't need you plus God equals a win. That's victory right there. God rebuked them over and over again for numbering their chariots and their horses and their weapons and their soldiers and their army. And he rebuked them and he would say, the battle is not yours, it is mine. And he does this over and over again. Listen, listen to me. I mean, I'm all for winning people and I understand the issues of enlargement and growth and all those things are good and wonderful. And I'm like every other pastor. I want to reach as many people as possible. And I want a church to grow and I want the army to expand. And I'd like to do all the things that you can do with that type of resource. But I'm here to tell you right now in this room, there is more available in God that we can take our region. Yes, we can. Say, well, who's going to even pay attention to you in a mall? I'll tell you right now, my only concern is that God pays attention to me. And that's exactly what he does here. The Lord begins to whittle the army down. The Lord never changes his methods. Do you understand that Jesus only had 12 guys with him? And they were the foundation of changing the whole world. And do you understand in those 12, he had a betrayer. Uh, he had a doubter. Um, uh, I mean, you go through it. He had, he had James and John that were continually arguing over which one of them, you know, was going to be the second in command. I mean, I can go down. They weren't even all that great. Which I have oftentimes taken great solace in. I figure... If, if Jesus, if Jesus picked those 12 and that's what he got, I mean, I mean, it's just, you know, it just, it's just helpful. It ministers to me. But he did, do you understand why he did that and why he chooses those kind of people and why we all qualify, by the way? I, I, I mean, I mean, no offense because I fall right into it. Why would God, why would even God want to use someone like me? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Some of you have walked out of this place, I'm sure, and say, why would God use him? I mean, I understand. I mean, I, I look in a mirror every morning and wonder some of these things. It's because when he does it, it's him. There's no, there's no confusion in that. You know, when I wear, you know, my wife took me out before the uh, conference and, and she bought me some new clothes because she said, we got to get you looking right to go to this conference. And so she got me, listen, she got me the shirts, you know, the new shirts that are kind of westerny. 
She got me some new jeans that you wear with the right shoes. Got me some, a, a couple new pair of shoes that kind of look like boots, but they aren't really boots. But, you know, they're, they're, they're shoes. And she got me all kind of slicked up and sent me out the door, you know. Said, there you go. You can, because I, cause I really think, you know, her man is a reflection of her, I think, in some ways. So she just, so, so she just, she scooted me out the door to Pennsylvania. You know me, I'd be in polyester still. I'd be leisure suit and, you know, the puka shells right there and all that kind of stuff. I, mean, I don't know. I don't care. Why do I care? Man, I went through four ties this morning before we got this one. It's just how it works in my house. But can I just tell you this? Just, just listen to me for just a moment. Even when you put contemporary clothes on me, you still got me. I mean, I mean, he's still a little chubby, still doesn't have much hair. It's just faster, but God uses him. And despite all of my frailties and shortcomings and just who I am, God gets the glory. He just gets the glory. And that's why he does that in you too. I mean, that's what we think. We think if we get the right shirt and the right look. and I mean, really, I mean, I, mean, I just laugh. I laugh. I, I, I chuckle today in, in our modern church world how all of a sudden everybody, they got to look. They went, we went through this. Everybody's got to look like Hillsong. You pay, you pay $300 to buy a pair of jeans that's got six holes in them. See, I'm going, don't get me. I don't want no holes in my jeans. We, when we were shopping the other day, the salesman brought out this pair of jeans with holes in it. I said, listen, I'm still of the school that when I buy clothes, no holes. No holes. That's just me. And then he, then he got me out these shirts that when you put them on. Now, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not thoroughly out of shape. I got a little shape left, but, you know, I'm not a great shape. But he got me these, these sizes that just clung to your and I mean, I came, I came out of the, I came out of the dresser. I was like, I mean, it was just, they were there like spandex. And, and Tracy's, Tracy's standing there like this. And she's going. This is what was hilarious. This is what was hilarious. The guy's going, oh, that's what they wear today. I'm going, I don't know what they wear today, <laughs> but I ain't wearing this. So I just, I can't breathe in this. It's like, snap. No, I don't do that. So yeah, yeah, he said, you know, it looks like you've been working out, <laughs> but it ain't truth. It, it, there's not a shred of truth in that. But we're in this era that we think, you know, I was watching a dude on television the other day, bless his heart. I mean, he's just, he's kind of like me. He's just bald and he's overweight and he's, he's, you know, he's trying to do the modern thing. And so he's got his boots on and he's got this pair of jeans on and his shirt that's just wrinkled. And, and let me, I am an ironing. I got an ironing demon in me. I cannot, I got, all my shirts have got to be, I iron my jeans Folks, I'm not going to tell you everything I iron, but I iron everything that can be ironed. Because I just got that ironing devil in me. 
My mom, my mom, that's a generational curse from my mom. But bless his heart, he's just, he's just trying, and, I, and I, I understand what he's doing because he's saying, I need to connect. I want to connect with the culture. Folks, we're so busy trying to connect with the culture that we've lost sight that I'm to connect with my God. I'm not looking to be like you. I'm looking to be like him. Now, all of that wasn't on my notes. That was just anointed story that came. But it's because the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. Come on, does it strike anybody as weird that it seems like everything gets bigger and bigger and larger and larger? And more people say they're Christian and churches are getting into mega tens of thousands. Everything's growing, 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 growing. But our nation is worse and worse and worse. Does anybody else see that? See, God had to restore the quality before He can enlarge the quantity. He literally prunes these troops down. So how did He do that? Let me just share with you just some things, and this might be just good for us all to be reminded of. How... God built Gideon's quality army. 32,000, remember, show up. How do you get rid of people? Wouldn't that have been a great sermon title? Ways to get rid of people. Number one. It says here in verse 3 that he removed the emotional. Two-thirds, it says, of those 32,000 22,000 of them were caught up in the emotion of the moment. They came because they were initially stirred. They showed up because something inside of them got all excited and stirred up, but it never got beyond their emotions. They didn't have the stuff to stay. In fact, the first moment someone said, hey, hey, I just want to make an announcement. If you're really afraid, you can go home. Oh, okay, thanks for that. I was... and, and they're out of there. They were just stirred for a moment and God cut them loose. Can I just share these things? And, and, and I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest here, just we're just I'm going to reminiscing this. Hey, please come to Legacy again. Because I'm really a normal kind of guy and this is just I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm normal, though. I always say you got to go to a church four or five times before you can see the whole package, you know. So, so. This can be strike one, okay? So then you can. But you know, years ago, this is, and some of you have been with me now for years, and, and you'll identify with this, but you know, years ago, it's been a little over eight years ago, and, 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 and Legacy got started, and I'll never forget, there were all kinds of people that wanted to participate and, and get involved in it. And you know what's interesting? When, when emotion is happening, people can get caught up in the emotion. There's a lot of emotion to those days. They were emotional days. But you know what was interesting? The moment it came down to the, the, the knowledge of sacrifice and what it's going to take to dig something out. What's it going to take to start from ground zero? You don't have a paper clip to your name. We didn't have an office. We didn't have copiers. We didn't have printers and computers. And we had not, I'm telling you, man, we started less than ground zero. 
I mean, no nursery, no kids' church, no nothing. We did no nothing. I was telling the folks in Pennsylvania, we started at Fort Johnson Civic Center. And they all kind of looked, whoa, you're at a civic center. I said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. It's not like Atlanta Civic Center. No, we're talking about 300 square foot of just brick. I mean, I mean, and, 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 and it's easy, it's easy to link to a cause and get excited. And even this morning, you might be inspired by everything that I share. And you may go from this place and go, yes, yes, yes. But I'm telling you, if it's just emotion, if it's just emotion, it will not carry you through. Guys, think about it. We, we had a million men almost at one time. A couple, maybe decades ago. Remember Promise Keepers and everybody went to Washington? They gathered at Washington Mall. It was exciting. It was stirring. It was emotional. Where are all those men now as our culture is going down the tubes? Stadium events. We filled stadium events, gentlemen. You can't see many coming to those things anymore. I know Glenn Beck had his tea party rally. And you know, a lot of things Glenn Beck says I agree with. Some things I scratch my head over. But all these people show up because they're, they're, they're upset about their government and, and there's lots to be upset about. I absolutely positively agree. But emotion does not win wars. I watched through the years as I've gone to Bethany conferences. I'll never forget one. 10,000 pastors were at a Bethany conference. And man, it was exciting and it was stirring. And, and, and it was an incredibly uplifting event. But, but where are the thousands of pastors now? When it's time to step up to the plate and, and, and let your voice be heard. That Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through Him. Come on, we got to start saying this stuff. Come on. Yeah, I am exclusive. I'm very exclusive. Jesus is the door. He is the gate. He is Lord. There's not many ways. All dogs don't go to heaven. Just the saved dogs. My puppy's going to heaven. That's all I have to say about that. The emotion, the emotion won't keep you. Secondly, he's down to what? 10,000 people now. And all of a sudden, they got to whittle some more. And so he removes number two, according to verses five and six, he removes the undisciplined. 10,000 are left, but now God says, I'm going to give them a new test. It's a test of discipline. Now, hear me. This is this is good news that that all of them were brave. He said, if you fear, leave. And so 22,000 left. So there were 10,000 who said, I'll stay. So they were brave. And being brave is good. But being brave is still yet not enough. He begins to test them in their discipline. And uh, it, it, it's a little confusing here, but apparently, if, if you were in the army when you got to the, to the river or to the creek or wherever it was, and you got down and, and, and you literally drank like this in some former fashion, uh, God says you're disqualified. But he said those that would get down and drink like this, they knew what it meant to go to battle. 9,700 of them got down like this. 
What, what does that mean? Why, why, why the test? It's because there were some of them who had become disciplined already for battle. They understood that you can't put your head down like that and drink lest your enemy come up behind you and take you. No, no, no. The ones that understood how to go to battle had disciplined themselves already to know that this is how you battle. Only 300 of them remain. So you can be brave. Don't misunderstand. There's lots of brave people. But you can be brave and you can be undisciplined. You can be brave and you can be out of order. You can be courageous, but not everything is as it should be in your life. Again, I'm just telling you stories and, and, and it gives perspective even on our journey and it helped me understand our journey. I remember back in 2005 when we began to implement the principle of 12 and when we challenged people uh, just in their Christian lives and winning people to the lost. And, you know, I just kind of, as a pastor, I just thought everybody would want to win souls and make disciples. Lo and behold, I found out that some Christians don't want to win people to Jesus. Is that not amazing? And that there are some who really aren't into discipline. But this is what's even more interesting, is that they think they can be a nation shaker without it. That somehow we're going to be a world changer just because we show up. Listen, discipline comes to an army. And I believe that's what God is doing in our era. He is bringing discipline in the life of his people. Folks, let me tell you something. It makes a difference. When you memorize, we ask people to memorize a few scriptures. You should, have, you should have heard the uproar. Never such a cry has been heard across the land since the children of Israel wailed against their Pharaoh. Could you memorize just like John 3.16? Oh, oh, you're so legalistic and controlling. And oh, I can't believe. I can't believe you'd make me memorize the word of God. Oh, well, that same word says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Foolish me. Don't, don't expect to be a world changer. Don't expect to be a nation shaker when you don't have the weapon of the word in your heart. The sword isn't in your arsenal. Don't expect, don't expect to make an impact in your culture because I tell you what, our culture is an anarchy. Our nation is spinning out of control. There's no order. It's every man for himself. It's whatever I want, I'm going to get it. Wah, wah, wah. And they're looking for lives that are in order. They want to see some functionality. And I'm telling you, I've been married now 29 years. My children love God. I understand you, you, there's no guarantees in all of this. I'm not no condemnation, but I'm just telling you that when you come to a conference and all you say is, I've been married 29 years to the first woman, the same woman. My kids love God. Life's good. My, my people love me at the church. We're winning people. And you get a standing ovation for that? Think about that for a minute. That's where our world is. They're just looking for someone who's surviving. And we're the ones that are not only to survive, but we're to thrive. We're not just the ones breaking even, but we're the ones that are triumphant. We're not the ones that are just sort of wrestling it out and hoping to get through. We're the conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Amen. This, this is a test. 
God's, God's whittling on us in order that we can be an army. Don't misunderstand. He's about victory. And it's not the size of the army. It's the size of the heart and the spirit of the few that say yes. And then lastly, number three, it says he retains the warriors. Verses seven and eight, he keeps these 300. 300 were left. It wasn't, I, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have invited Gideon to come speak at our army growing conference. We wouldn't have him do that. Just 300 were left. Gideon wouldn't have written any books. Gideon wouldn't have got his face on any magazines. Gideon wouldn't have been venerated in our current society. No, 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 no. Gideon, Gideon's going backwards in most people's mind. But he had 300, listen, that were brave and they were disciplined. Not one or the other. They were brave and they were disciplined. And you know, for years, we've usually had two camps. We've had, we've had the disciplined and we've had the, you know, the, the, the exuberant, the courageous. And God's melding these two together. People, people, people come, it's really funny what they say, you know, because, you know, I've been to a lot of school and when they begin to visit with me, they find out that I just didn't bounce off the turn up truck, you know, last week. And that I can, I can talk turkey with people and I'm fluent in the Greek and. I've done my time. I, 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 got a, I got a real degree. I worked it. Got it. Top 20 seminary. And then all of a sudden they come to our church and they see people exuberant and passionate. They look and they go, how can you be so smart? But yet all of this. Because I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And all my strength. I'm giving him everything I've got in every area I've got. Yes, sir. We're to be the most passionate. We're to be the most exuberant. We're to be the most, most, you know, giving. We're, 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 to, be the, we're, we're, we're to be the bravest, the most disciplined. Come on, these things are not, are not against one another. This all melds together. And when God finds that army, they will take nations. Yes, they will. They will take nations. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a part of Gideon's generation. I believe some of you. In fact, I, this is what I believe. I believe all of you can be a part of that generation. You can, you can start today. You say, I'm just not there. I'm just not there. Here's the good news. You can start today. God's raising it up. He's working on us. He's doing these things in his people. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when the light will shine out of the darkness. The Bible says, where sin abounds, grace doth more abound. The scripture says that though there was darkness, yes, even gross darkness over the, over the earth, there will be a light that will shine. And kings and princes will stream to the brightness of its rising. Folks, there's going to come a day when people will be so needy, they'll want answers and solutions so badly. Their whole life will be so dysfunctional. They aren't going to give a rip whether you have spinning lights and multicolors flashing, whether you have tresses and a cool-looking pulpit, they aren't going to give a rip. They're just going to want to know, are you the bunch that can get me out of my decay and my dysfunction and get me to a place where I'm whole and I'm well again. I'm telling you, that hour's coming. 
And I'm ready for that hour. Stand with me, will you?